0: Welcome to Conflict Managed. I'm your host, Mary Brown. Today on Conflict Managed, we are joined by Justin Kreiss, the CEO of the Weekly County Economic Development Board and Chamber of Commerce. Before joining the WCEDB, Justin was the Northwest Regional Coordinator for Tennessee Pathways. In this role, he worked with K-12 educators, post-secondary institutions, and local industries to expand college and career pathway access across West Tennessee. Additionally, Justin has served as the volunteer services coordinator at Real Foot Rural Ministries and municipal planning roles in both Georgia and Kentucky. Justin earned a bachelor's degree in political science from Murray State University and a master's degree in public administration from Western Kentucky University. Justin and his wife, Amanda, reside in Martin, where they've lived since 2016. Good morning, Justin, and welcome to Conflict Managed.
1: Good morning, Mary. Uh, Thanks for having me.
0: I'm so pleased that you agreed to be on the podcast. I'm looking forward to hearing all about you.
1: Oh yeah. This is this is a really good format to kind of deep dive into, you know, who who people are really behind the scenes and, and what we do. So I, I really appreciate you having me on
0: thank you. And I appreciate that you said that because so many times we imagine what other people do, you know, think about the teacher. They say, oh, you know, must be nice to have the summers off. Right. And then you actually talk to a teacher. And so many times we, we, it's fun to pull the veil back and see what's really going on behind the scenes and then how somebody got there. Cause a lot of times we just see the finished product.
1: Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: So let's start with your beginnings. What's the first job you ever had as a young man?
1: You know, that's a good question and I was actually thinking about this um you know a little bit recently about kind of my genesis as a, as a person in the world of work and my first job, uh actual job where I probably paid into social security was at a Chuck E Cheese in Paducah Kentucky where I did everything I mean I uh uh, worked games I worked you know in the kitchen I worked the drink counter I even dressed up as Chuck E. Cheese from now and then (laughs) I was a really tall Chuck E. Cheese um in that time went to a couple county fairs dressed up as Chuck E. Cheese so um I, you know, that was one that I uh, was ready to get out of pretty quickly. I think I worked there three or four months. And and then I, I came to one of the retail giants during the holiday season. Actually, I was probably employed around this time of year in 2003 or 2004. I can't remember what year. And, uh, and came to Sears and started working as a cashier there and then became a tool salesman and worked through college at, at a Sears, and they had a, a, a pretty interesting culture at that time. You know, they were on the downslide of kind of retail. I guess they were the kings of retail forever, and then, uh, you know, I got in into that, and they had a really good, you know, video and training management system that they used, and you felt a part of the, of the culture there. For sure, there were people who had worked there 30 years, you know, and me a uh, 16, 17-year-old uh, young man being there, and and they welcomed you. It was really, um, it was a good experience for sure for me at Sears, and that was one that I had developed a lot of interpersonal skills because you had to talk and sell things, get to know a little bit about a lot of things, and uh, that's kind of how I think uh, I, I became who I am, part of that in those everyday interactions.
0: How long were you at Sears? I
1: worked there for two, I think two, up up to two years at their mainline retail store. And then when I was at Murray State I uh, in college, I worked at their dealer store. You might've seen those, those, those don't even exist now and Sears doesn't exist. You know, has, they've gone out of business. So probably in total, Mary, about four to five years total. Mm. Um, and so- Uh, Really knew a lot about Craftsman Tools, Uh, really knew a lot about Kenmore Appliances and Mowers, Craftsman Mowers. So always, if I can still find the Craftsman name, uh, I usually tend to buy it.
0: You know, it it just struck me, as you said, you know, Sears is out of business. And I forget that because of my age and how I grew up. And I remember as a a small child, the Sears catalog and just dreaming about Christmas but it is also I think a good reminder of change. We think something like Sears they're too big to fail. they won't go out of business they're this this institution in in the memories uh and a part of every everyday life in this in the u s culture at least, and now they're gone. It's pretty interesting that uh you know that we can't think about something is here forever, but change is the name of the game,
1: yeah. You know, you're talking about those wish books, uh, Sears, you know, the original kind of Amazon uh, is is what they say, you know, and they really were. You could order anything out of the Sears catalog, even a house. And now you can do that on Amazon. So, um, you know, when when I first worked there, they had they had been acquired by Kmart. It was in those first couple of years that online shopping became just it, it kind of really started to take off in, uh, 2004 or five, Oh five and Oh six. And Amazon really started to take off, uh, their book business and, and being able to order a lot of different kinds of things on Amazon. And I, I had a kind of prediction when somebody walked in from sears.com and we could not price match that in the store in the Sears store. I said, something's something's not going to work out here because there's, there was, you know, the left hand wasn't talking to the right and it didn't seem like it was very coordinated. There were two separate companies in, in their e-commerce site and their traditional point of sale system. So yeah, it, it didn't, it didn't work out for them. Um, And I guess I could kind of see that being a, a Sears employee at the time that, you know, Hey, we, we probably should have made some changes. To try to figure that out, still had a really good distribution network, but just couldn't capitalize on it.
0: Yeah, and it's so interesting. I think a lot about communication when it comes to conflict at work, but of course, it's within organizations. If organizations are discombobulated and, like you said, the right hand's not knowing what the left hand is doing, or they're they're almost working at odds with one another, right? You don't want the dot com and the and the brick and mortar store to be competing, right? That right. that's uh, they want to be complementary and they want seamless for the consumer and uh, i think the same thing about how we treat our people at work we want it to be seamless we don't want the company to be saying one thing and the handbook is saying something else or how people are treated on their worst day to really tell us this is not really a company culture where we actually treat everyone well or this is a company culture where we treat everyone from the beginning to the end and however that end is
1: yeah it you know, the writings were on the wall for them and as a long, um, to have longevity as a company. But, you know, I still really enjoyed those years I worked in, in both the retail and the dealer store because this time of year, you know, you're there's Christmas trees all around. There's, um, you know, you put out your sales merchandise. It there is some nostalgia for me to think about it. It's almost been 20, well, I guess it has been twenty years so since I started there. You know, so it, it's good to look back on, but it is interesting to think about how workplaces, especially, can can shift their culture and and change as as you said earlier,
0: or even um, your experience having a good a good experience with the work culture, but you know, that that's not always enough, right? We've got to have good business sense. Good business sense is treating your people well, but obviously it's not one or the other. But I would, I want to move on, but I can't just leave the Chuck E. Cheese. I mean, I want to know (laughs) a little bit more about that. For those of you who are not listening in the States, Chuck E. Cheese is this Wonderland Palace for children that serves pizza and they have animatronics and games. And I, my children had parties there. We went to parties of other children uh, driving an hour to Meduka, and I, I remember many uh, a fall or a spring break sitting grading as my kids were playing. But you weren't there very long. What was it—the mascot aspect of dressing up as this big mouse, or what? What? What happened there? What? What did not resonate with you?
1: Yeah, that's a that's a good question. I think for me, it's the restaurant atmosphere was not. Not really for me. I, you know, um, I think there were things about, you know, both the the front of house and then the back of house. I mean, I, I think that they had good management and I think they, you know, they relied on a youth workforce, which is, I think, talking about this at a, at a higher level, at a national level or an international level, the United States has seen that really dip, you know, I think there's some figures around something like 80% of youth jobs are not there anymore. Um, mm. whereas, you know, I think the jobs like the two that I described, uh, they one of them is there. One of them isn't. So I think it was, maybe it was the mascot. Maybe it was the constant. They had a Beatles theme that summer that I worked there and into the fall, you know, where they, would take Beatles songs and, and redo them. Maybe it was that. And just,
0: oh, no. Um,
1: yeah. Uh Maybe it was a lot of things. I, I think uh, I didn't get as many hours there as I wanted to, you know, because they had so many workers and, you know, I couldn't work full time there, but I, I, I kind of wanted more. And then I wanted a little better pay. I think at the time I was making, you know, 575 wasn't really that great pay. And I think that that was another thing where I looked elsewhere.
0: Yeah, I think it's interesting. Uh, I was talking to Lindsay Freeling, your counterpart in the next county over. She's a big proponent of young people trying out jobs as career elimination. We don't know what we don't know. Some people go in the service industry and that's what they want to do. Other people go in and say, no. Some people are professional mascots, right? They they get that taste, they put that that uh, costume on and they're sold, you know? And that's what's the wonderful thing about the world is it takes so many different people, but we really don't know until we try things out. And also, as you said, even the pay and the hours. As a young person, if that first job, you're happy that you got a first job and you don't know if you're gonna be overworked or underworked and you're probably not really thinking about Um, how competitive the pay, especially when you're a teenager, you know, you're getting a job and you're starting and then you start to see, oh, I have options and then looking around.
1: Yeah, I agree with uh, what Lindsay said and what you echoed. I I think a lot of times we limit ourselves to certain careers based on what we know what's in front of us, what our peers might want to do as well. I think I was a product of that, but I also um, got to you know, build some skills and some personal awareness of myself, what I valued in those first couple jobs that I had. And uh, it allowed me to really kind of hone in on what I wanted long term. I feel like you, you don't ever really get to the place where you know exactly what you want to be. You know, some, some people have kind of an end degree with a, a medical doctor or, you might might have been a lawyer. Um, you might be a professor. You know, you kind of have that that career arc, and you get to a certain point, then you get tenure, or you you've been in the profession for a long time. But you know, our profession is is one that economic development is kind of looking at all kinds of different facets of your area and trying to make a quality of life and really enhance that for your area for your for your citizens to make, you know, your place where you live the best it can be.
0: Yeah, I'm interested in hearing more about that. So you're the CEO of the Weekly County Economic Development Board. So what did you major in, in college? And then how did you get to be where you are? And just in your interest as well, as well as professional steps you took to to get to where you are?
1: Interesting and good questions. I I think I majored in, in political science and then went on and got a master's in public administration. I, I originally thought I was going to do law school. Uh, I kind of hinted at this earlier that, you know, I had a couple of friends that were on track. One is a, an attorney and one was going to be an attorney. But now he's a he's a master carpenter. You know, so he, he really he went a different route and based off skills he had. So I think I'm a product of that. You know college for all generation, you know. Um, and then when I was coming out of undergrad, it was the financial downturn, uh, in 08 and 09, and I just stayed in and, and, and got a graduate degree. Which I, you know, I don't know if that's really what you ought to do, uh, what you should do, rather. But at the time, it, it felt like it was easier to to do that. And then I I got some experience. I I did an internship in Washington, D.C. for a summer and worked on Capitol Hill with a couple companies that were working for a lobbying group and, um, you know, got to know a lot of people on Capitol Hill during Obama's first administration and, you know, got to know a lot of because I'm from Kentucky, I got to know a lot of Kentucky folks on Capitol Hill. But then I came back and uh, after I graduated graduate school and I, I found a job as a city planner in Murray Kentucky. You know city and regional planning is is economic development too, but it's it's more it's more codes based, it's more compliance based. It's more can you do this, can you do that. It's not imagining things. Um it's not imagining what an area can be on the front end, it's kind of saying, okay, this is what your plan is. This is what our code can do. This is where you can apply. You might need a variance for parking, or you might need a variance for building height. You might need a variance for this type of use or conditional use. And so I like that work and moved to Georgia to do that work too in Metro Atlanta. And uh, I, you know, like I said, you you almost feel like kind of you're, you're a paper pusher in a way, because when I was in Georgia, you know, I took, I took a lot of development uh, on in this County and, um, you know, it's coming from a small town and moving to a, a booming kind of suburban area. It was totally different and, uh, kind of turned me off from the profession, honestly, because it was just too much for me. And, uh, I think that's I think that's something that that really made me kind of look what I want to do. You know, is there is there a different career for me? Is there something else? And uh, you know, I don't just have to be in this particular sector or this particular profession. And I think that was actually kind of liberating.
0: It is, you know, we can take stock of what our gifts are and and how they're being utilized and how they aren't being utilized. And sometimes we get in a job and you know we want to pay our mortgage and be gainfully employed. But then we also see, okay, but is this what I really want to be doing? And I imagine the market in being a city planner and and doing that kind of work in a larger market is going to be different than in a smaller town, right? Small town, you wear lots of hats because if you want it done, it's you, right? In a bigger town, there are more hands, but you can be siloed more into being the paper pusher or I'm now... Uh, you know, an expert in these kinds of zoning or these kinds of codes. And so that's what I do. Right. And for some people, gosh, they love that. They love the regularity and they love the precision and that's what they want to be doing. And so we want those people in those jobs. Right. Um, But of course we don't know until we try. And that is, it is, I think very liberating when we say, "Nope, not for me, I'm going to look someplace else.
1: Yeah, it was after that time, my wife and I, you know, I, I met my wife during this time. Uh We moved from Atlanta to West Tennessee, and uh I worked my first job back in this area because I'm from West Kentucky. So near near where I grew up, you know, within an hour where I grew up, you know, I worked at a nonprofit, worked in a food bank that's affiliated with the United Methodist Church. In um, we had a dental clinic at the same facility. Had over thirteen different ministries at that time, and uh, was I was driving a lot. I was driving like forty five minutes each way, and um, you know I also had a commute. In it when I lived in Metro Atlanta, and I was just I am tired of this this drive. Um, it's kind of it's it's wearing me down. So I I looked for another job, and I found a job in uh, workforce development. was stationed at UT Martin and um, it was kind of a new thing kind of career pathway type work and I didn't really know a whole lot about it but I knew I could do it because I had the interpersonal skills I had the ability to form relationships I had the ability to um, talk to educators uh, and connect people with local officials this felt like a really interesting job so I built a A network across nine counties in in Northwest Tennessee and about 20 school districts. Um, So I know all all across the region. I know the schools, uh, the high schools and the middle schools and the superintendents and counselors and career and technical education directors. And it was really it was really interesting work. Um, And we did that. The grant. I was on a like a uh a grant for about a year, and then we got fully funded for about three more years. so I did that for about four years and then uh this job popped open in economic development in the county I lived in and i had to I had to give an opportunity to it because i I, I felt like it was something that I've always worked around directly being an economic development professional, but I've never really been in the, in the behind the scenes, you know, uh, behind the veil. Um, so, um, I jumped in and and got lucky and got this job and I've really been doing it for about two years and really love, uh, the day to day. And as you said, you never know what today is going to bring. Um, you know, you never know, what grant opportunity might pop up. You never know what's going to be needed from one of our local communities here in Weekly County. So it's been interesting work so far.
0: So I know that you work with a lot of business owners and you are looking, right, to bring economic development to this region. That means you're working with a lot of different opinions and ideas as to what to have, what to bring, what should be the priorities. So how do you bring all of that to the table to move forward when you have, especially when you have people who are at loggerheads, where they really want to go in different directions. How, how do you manage that kind of conflict?
1: Yeah. You know, Weekly County is in an interesting position with that. You know, we have a, a really strong agricultural base here. It's kind of our largest industry, I would say, and one of the, the largest industry in the state. Um, however, you know, those jobs are are hard to put your hands on. You know exactly know exactly what you know an agricultural job might might be. What that may look like for a family farm, a generational farm. What what that may look like in the future. And then a lot of times people think, um, you know, well, I'm just trying to attract new business, um, and that's sometimes the case. But oftentimes, I'm I'm really trying to listen to all parties um, to try to figure out what's best for the county, what's best for our local invested companies, companies who've been here a long time, Uh, what's working for them, what's not working for them. The same thing with the ag community, which is, should be involved in this. And and how can we complement what they do and maybe get some investment to bring a larger tax base or uh, an investment from a company to say, "Hey, this is a value add. You know, we have a lot of uh, chickens and and pork products that are formed in this area. How can we use this soybean or corn mill and make an operation out of that?" That's been a conversation in our area. So you're always trying to find the right ingredients or a a potential project whether it be attracting new business or spurring development locally Um, so it is difficult to manage you know sometimes i'm the only person who makes a decision on on some things and then sometimes i get you know advice from my board on our target markets you know we've we've got the largest ball clay deposit in the united states in weekly county so my clay companies always want me to pursue a ceramics and tile industry. Um, that is always something on the horizon. You know, if we see a project pop up like that, that is something that I'm working towards and 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 trying to work. And then do we have, you know, a site or workforce that is ready for that? Those are all part of the calculus and, and whether or not I submit, you know, whether or not I have utilities to serve that kind of project.
0: So what do you think about the variety of different places that you've worked and the different people you've worked with and for? What is the best experience you've had or one of the best experiences and what resonated with you? What was so good about it?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. My, my best experience was working for, with the team at Tennessee Pathways with Jerry Maynor and Ellen Boley. They were very intentional about checking in. Um, we would do a team check in every week, even when we were working a lot remote, we were, we were always remote anyway. So when COVID happened, you know, it was, it limited us a little bit to get into schools. You know, a- after we got past that hurdle, we could still do our work, uh, very effectively, uh, and, and meet with, um, you know, administrators and CT directors and teachers and principals. So, they were very good and one thing i admire and i I've, I've tried to implement my, implement myself is to try to um do a check in you know once every they would always do it every two weeks um i've i've implemented monthly check-ins with my staff but i think that every two weeks is a really good uh measuring stick for hey where we are on this what are we getting to What's preventing us from getting to this? And then are there any long-term stuff that, you know, we've got on the horizon that we've got to put on the back burner for now, but we, we need to address that. So just a really good check-in format that was, was mentorship and in a lot of ways, leadership is mentorship. I think, you know, it really taught me the inner workings of, of really understanding you know, your supervisor or your staff and what's working, what's not working. Um, Because if you don't have that call and response with each other, I don't feel like there's a, there's a sense of mutual respect Mm. that you can bring anything to them and they can bring anything to you. Mm. You know, when, when I even looked for another job, I told them because I respected them very much. And I'd had supervisors in the past that I would not have told you know, that I was looking for a different job, but I, I love that culture with them so much uh, that they, uh, they uh, you know, were were those type of people where they would say, yes, you should go after that. That would be a really good fit for you.
0: It sounds like they were really good at listening and being curious.
1: Yes. Great. Great points.
0: And it looks like they mirrored that to you and so that you listened to them and you were curious back. It sounds like this, you had this really nice reciprocity, which then made you feel respected.
1: Yeah, Hmm. absolutely.
0: It sounds so simple, (laughs) doesn't it?
1: It's, I, I think it's really easy when you, it was easier for us because we were starting something new and they could kind of own the culture and strategy um, and how we were going to employ that. And that was something I I was really proud to be a part of Um, that kind of work still goes on, not necessarily with a team across the state, like what we had, but um, you know, because of that, that culture and kind of the network that we had, we all still talk, you know, and communicate usually via text or email. But um, you know, if, if something exciting happens in one of our lives we we send a text or if something um is going on you know in, in one of our networks that we have a question about we still throw it out to that group and uh, it's been really it's been really beneficial
0: that's that's great there's so many uh work relationships that that we make that stay with us even when we're not there as you've just mentioned that really speak into us into our, our professional life and into our personal life and it seems to me that I like your point that you said it was easy because it was new and I taught for a long time and there was always something about the start of the semester and it's like this semester I'm going to be on top of, you know, whatever, <laughs> typically grading or something like that. Yeah. Uh, is like a chance to do something new, but. When you are in an organization that's been around 10, 20, 50, 100 years, and you're going into a team that's established, and so you've got people saying, well, this is how we do things, this is how we've always done things, this is the culture here, Um, it can be challenging. Challenging to, especially if the culture um, is not respectful, or is not working, or is just not encouraging everybody to be their best selves. And to be fully engaged and productive. And so how would you see, how do you think people can come into an organization and, and not be like a, a bull in a china shop, tearing things apart, but it is easier when something is new because you're setting all the groundwork. It's much harder to go into a circumstance where work needs to be done. So have you ever had that experience or how would you approach something like that?
1: my organization and the Chamber of Commerce we've undergone a merger in a sense that you know that they take direction under my umbrella organization the chamber has a has a member on that board as well and so I'm the executive and and we have a chamber director and then who's been here a long time and then um, we have uh, an assistant individual join join our ranks this past year so, it's been interesting to try to to mesh what we do because we're we're both working for quality of life. When I started, you know, we did I'm a big proponent of Simon Sinek and the golden circle, you know, uh, it's actually sitting right over there um talking about what what is our why? You know, how do we look at what we do but how we do it, but why? The the thing that really came back to us when we kind of looked at that and both of our kind of mission statements and organizational statements was quality of life why that is really why we do what we do every day Um, and how are we doing that every day Um, and then you know you kind of you backwards map and then you you come you know you forwards map so it's been it's been really interesting to to try to bring two organizations under one arm. One roof, and I—I I would tell you, I haven't done it the best. I haven't been the best at it, but I've—I've uh, I've really tried to listen to how things have been done in the past and understand why they've been done that way. But also looking at—is there a why to how are we looking at our quality of life in in this? How does this affect quality of life every time? And there are some things that we've done, and we still do that. You know, we've just always done it that way and uh, we'll probably do it that way for a while until something, you know, comes to an end in a season and we we try something new or we reinvent something. And those are things, I think, coming back to our conversation earlier, um, we've got to adapt and we've got to adjust and grow or, you know, you, you become just another organization that, you know, doesn't really affect your quality of life locally or isn't a change maker, um, in the community, isn't a, a trusted source for, you know, certain types of information. I think those are all things that I consider.
0: Yeah. It's such an art to, when it comes to change, what to change and what not to change. And, uh, though, People will be listening to this episode after Thanksgiving. We're recording a couple of days before Thanksgiving. And I have, um, I've been living in Martin for over 20 years and have had about uh, the same friends and family come over for the past 20 years. And uh, it's at my house, but people bring stuff. And Annie has been bringing uh, the mashed potatoes for 20 years and and diane has been bringing the grape salad for 20 years and you know we have these staples and pat makes the sweet potatoes my mom makes the rolls my husband makes the turkey you're right and and somebody was joking about why do i even need to send anything out everybody knows because it's the same and i asked my um, brother-in-law who was making this comment i said well do you think it should be should be changed and he said no it's thanksgiving meal right and tradition especially in a community when you think about culture and tradition that you do the same thing like in this community in weekly county there's santa's village and it's right. coming up and i have been going to santa's village ever since i came here and it's just one wonder- i love lights and everything shiny and if you love shiny things you go to santa's village That's right, and it's a tradition that i look forward to even though my children are grown that it's this sort of this this hallmark right so we think about Whatever culture we're in, or whatever, if you're a part of a religious tradition, those different hallmarks that mark the year and progression of time. And we do see that those things change, but there's something so comforting about the sameness of it, about the cyclical that something we look forward to. And yet, you know, it's that balancing and organizations of w- what is the essential, what is the mission. How do we make that mission? And that means that we need to be interested in change and know when to change, but also know when not to. Right.
1: Yeah. An interesting line sometimes, uh, for sure. I like the word you use, Hallmark. uh, What is a, it's always a, I don't really think about it all times of the year, but definitely this time of year, Hallmark um, and, and movie arcs, you know, if you watch any of the Hallmark movies, they have... They have a, a pretty similar playbook, you know, um, and uh, so those are kind of traditions in a way. Similar things with Christmas movies, you know, that we tend to watch again and again. And uh, I really enjoy this time of year. So, you know, one thing I think we do well at the Chamber is uh, we have a, a, a yearly Christmas party coming up. And uh, that's always the Thursday before the first end of the week uh, in in December, so it's one of our traditions, and I'm I'm looking forward to that this year.
0: Yeah, I, I talk a lot on this podcast about change management, but there's there's something you know people are multifaceted, and we may not like change, or a lot of it is that we we don't like the way change has been brought to us, right? Usually kicking and screaming with not much transparency, but there is something very um, necessary and the way of things about change. We need to get more comfortable with the fact that things change. And at the same time, really taking stock of what should remain.
1: Hmm.
0: And what remains even if there are new technologies is quality of life, right? That's your North star. And so how does everything else we're doing align with that? How do we keep the stuff that's working and change when needed and get rid of the things that are no longer going towards the the quality of life and trying to, it's an, it's an art, right? And
1: yeah, absolutely. No, it's, you know, I think it takes more than just one person to contribute mm-hmm. to that. You know, um, you've got to be meeting with stakeholders in, in, in my field. You've got to be meeting to, you've got to be meeting with your stakeholders and you've got to be meeting with you know, interested parties. One thing, I was at a UTM basketball game recently and there was, um, in front of me, there was a couple uh, and their daughter plays uh, basketball for UT Martin. And they drive, drive down about four and a half hours, four hours. And I asked them, I was like, hey, Martin, you know, Weekly County, how are we doing? You know, oh, it's really, really great little town. You know, we're we're from an area like this. in in Illinois, but uh, they said, you know, you need another hotel. Mm -hmm. And I said, yep, yep, we do. Yeah. Thanks for that confirmation. But, you know, I, I like to, to get visitors opinions of, you know, where we are, what, what is our, our pulse on what we need? What's a, what's a good value add for us. And that's, you know, those little, Interactions like that, for me, are very valuable in in finding out, you know, things that we can add to enhance our quality of life in the the community. I totally agree with that statement.
0: You know, it's interesting going back to listening and curiosity with stakeholders it's. I think it's even more important in this day and age of siloed media. If I were to think that what's on my TikTok feed as well is on everybody else's TikTok feed, then everybody's watching this woman tunnel under her suburban home. And everybody's watching these cat videos. And and then I'll sometimes I'll check in with my teenage sons and I'll say, do you know this person? And they will have never heard of it. And then they'll say, mom, do you know this person? Because they know I'm on social media. And I'm like, no. And they're like, how could you have, not seen this. And so it's like, we all have these curated experiences. And if I think like on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. most of the people that I know on LinkedIn are conflict professionals. And so it sounds like, oh, we're doing good. Cause everybody's interested in leadership and conflict. Well, those <laughs> are the people that I know, right. <laughs> and that's my experience. And so it's it, but the same thing in a business, you know, if I am the line worker, I'm the CEO, I'm the middle management you see certain things, and we can trick ourselves into say, to thinking these are the most important. This is what's on everybody's mind. But if we don't go out and really want to know what our stakeholders see, value, experience, then we are trapped in our mind, and that's that's where bad decisions are made. When we make decisions for everybody based on my likes or my desires or what I see,
1: right? Definitely agree with that. Yeah, you've got to. You've got to fill out in the crowd. I think I was in Atlanta last week and I, I came back for a public meeting and then had to go back. But I was in Greenfield and uh, one of the news reporters asked me if I had seen the the grind, uh, the deer jumping through the grind video. And I hadn't seen the video, but I had seen somebody post about it, you know, and anyway, you know, I watched the video. And I, I still can't believe that happened in in our little small town of Martin and, and Weekly County. But it's one of those things where, you know, I knew the people in the video because it's such a small town and I know the business owner. And, you know, so I'm sure he will do something, you know, with that at some point. And there will be a venison a or, or deer burger promotion. Um, a deer Sunday. or Or, yeah, I think he's already done. Some type of you know milkshake if he hasn't already. So it's just interesting to see how connected we all are. But you're right, you know. Sometimes we 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 can only get what we want to see. And then there's there was somebody that I'm a friend with that lives in Martin who's probably not on any social media, anything, and he had not seen it. Um, So it's it's interesting that uh, not everybody sees everything, um, and it it just really depends on your you know, who you're connected with.
0: Yeah. Just for context, for those of you I know this little small town that we live in, in Martin, Tennessee, at a, one of our restaurants, this family was eating and a deer jumped through the window into the restaurant and, you know, mayhem ensued. And then, you know, this video has gone viral, but yeah. it is interesting because I also know people who don't, like my husband had no idea because he's not on social media. Right. And uh, it is, you know, we think, oh, everybody knows, but there's nothing like old-fashioned talking to people.
1: Right. No, that's that's a key one.
0: So, Justin, when you think about the different places that you've worked, can you tell us about something that was difficult for you, maybe a conflict that you faced and how you dealt with it?
1: Yeah. You know, I had a, a supervisor at one point, we actually shared an office and it was just Really close quarters with with somebody who supervises your work, but also, you know, I'm a person who likes to to be friends with everybody. I try to be friends with everybody, and it just didn't, you know, the the working relationship just didn't really work out. And it took time. I, you know, I did something that was an error, and trust was kind of broken on on that end on the working relationship. So, um, you know, it just. Long term, it, it didn't work, and it was actually a really good situation. at, at the end, I, I'm still very appreciative of, of uh, her name's Vanessa of, of of the way she managed that and and walked us through that. I'm very appreciative now, in retrospect, of of that whole situation. You know, I I know I could have been a better employee uh, at that time, almost ten years ago, but I know that things could have been handled way better on, on my end, but I I always tried to be professional, always tried to be courteous. I just think, you know, it was a situation where personalities just didn't work together. So it was, it was something that I I look back on and I try to manage in a way that, you know, both reflects that, but also thinks about how somebody else feels because I've been in that shoe, been in those shoes
0: and that is the reality of our workplace you know we we don't get to choose usually our colleagues or and we aren't hiring our best friends right we are hiring right. colleagues and so that means that we're going to find people that we may not want to have over for drinks or go out with afterwards and that's absolutely fine and it's it's finding i think the more you work at it the more you realize what you know if we can be working towards the same work goal it's okay if they like sci-fi or they're outgoing or they're an introvert or whatever it is that rubs us the wrong way that that's about us and not about them right and how can we be at work together to uh, fulfill the mission of the organization
1: yeah absolutely you know this particular you know, situation, I had a lot of milestones, you know, I'd moved there for, uh to get, you know, eventually got married to my wife. And, you know, there was, there was a lot going on. And I knew eventually I was going to move because of the nature of, of my wife's work. You know, she's a, a itinerant Methodist pastor. So I knew we were going to be assigned somewhere in uh, West Tennessee and in West Kentucky. So, you know, it was, it was okay. You know, that that's the way it ended for me. Um, you know, at the time I, I was probably a little too immature to, to understand that, but um, I, I think we both handled it with grace and, um, you know, I, I'm sure I could, I could walk in and give her a hug and, you know, say hi today if I was in the area. So it's good.
0: You know, I think that's a, a really important to think about the mistakes that other people do, our own mistakes, how we grow And we should all be growing and developing and thinking, what did I do well in a particular circumstance and and what could I have done better at? And how could I actually be better than I was 10 years ago or five years ago or with that interaction last week? How can I really treat that other person the way they deserve to be treated and how I deserve to be treated, right? That, That reciprocal relationship where we have those appropriate boundaries and treat people Really, you know, following the golden rule, so that we can yes, have these healthy absolutely. work environments, so Justin, when you look into the future of work and you think about weekly county and it be th- being thriving, and you think about where we need to go for that to happen, what needs to happen in work environments so that every worker is treated with dignity and respect and enc- encouraged to flourish because we all want a good quality of life, whether we are. A brand new worker or been there for a very long time
1: yeah, i I like the words you use dignity and respect. I get to go in a lot of workplaces in the county and I get to go to a lot of businesses as well. I think the one thing i'm I'm seeing and hearing is oftentimes workers are 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 living you know paycheck to paycheck, even in our manufacturing jobs, some of them. Are living that way, and I think the thing I, I'm hearing from from workers and from the work workforce and our um, industries and employers is we've got to figure out ways to honor the changing dynamics in the workforce. Uh, we've got to figure out creative ways. You know, some of our local employers and industries are are having Fridays off. Uh, which never would have happened, you know, even five, ten years ago, um, and that that's happening, you know, and it's an attractive thing for for folks to have Fridays off, or you know, you get off uh, Fridays at noon if you hit your your manufacturing goals, and I, I I think workplaces are are getting creative because they've had to respond to to retain employees. And so that's kind of a, a symbiotic relationship that that has happened. But though that dignity and respect um, is trying to figure out ways that does create that in their in their workplace that allows them to maybe you know make an appointment on a Friday that they they may not have been able to make before. Maybe they have a, a easier access to to child care because they're working on a first shift instead of a second shift. Maybe they can afford that to do that because they're making a higher wage. So those are all things that I think we've we've got to figure out a little better. Um, I think we we need to figure out a workforce pipeline for for some of our industries. Uh, figure out how to access. A lot of students come from all over Tennessee to UT Martin. You know how do we get those students? to where they're, they're part of our, our workforce pipeline. That's essential. You know, we have a lot of restaurants, we have a lot of entrepreneurs in this area that are, are starting new restaurants too. Um, I feel like we're at a, at a, at a tipping point. And if we can tap into that collegiate and even high school workforce uh, a little better, I, I feel like we can, we can contribute back into our local economy and, and kind of, create a pipeline that's, that's sustainable, you know, that you may lose a worker here after, you know, six months to a year, but you know, somebody else is going to be there to to step up. And um, it's, it just takes time. I think we, what you said earlier is, is very true. We don't know what we don't know. So we don't know about opportunities to job share at our, at a local factory down the street. You know, how are we going to know that maybe I could take what I'm studying at UT Martin and work in human resources at this facility or, or work in accounting there or work in numerous uh, management type roles um, or, you know, get, get mentored to do that. Those are all things that I think are important.
0: Yeah, I think that all ties back to the quality of life, as you said, you know, and right. a symbiotic relationship that businesses and the individuals that populate them working together, because we all, at the end of the day, we all want to have a good life. And when, when one person succeeds, we know the other people succeed in our community as well. Well, Justin, thank you so much for your time. What a fun conversation. I really this appreciate it. it has been
1: fun. It. I really enjoyed thinking about, about, you know, almost 20 years ago about entering the workforce and, and really, you know, who I am now, uh, a lot different of a person, but I think I still have similar values and what I want to see, you know, out of myself and, and out of the world of work.
0: All right, Justin. Well, thank you so much. Take care. Thank you. Thank you, Justin, for taking time to be a part of Conflict Managed and helping us think about the communities that we live in and how do we have quality of life, which starts with us and also the kind of culture that we have in the places that we work. Conflict Managed is produced by Third Party Workplace Conflict Restoration Services and hosted by me, Mary Brown. You can find us online at 3pconflictrestoration.com. Come back. We have new episodes every Tuesday. If there's someone that you would like to see interviewed, please let us know. Also, it really helps if you go ahead and subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. If you haven't had a chance to look at my new book, how to be unprofessional at work, tips to ensure a failure, I encourage you to pick it up. It's 80 tips of what not to do in a work environment in order to think about how we have healthy work environments. Our music is courtesy of Dove Pilot. And remember, conflict is normal and to be expected. Let's deal with it. Until next time, take care.